0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Thank you. Morning, church. Um... Excuse me while I switch my timer on. Um, so I stand up here this morning, it will be memorable for many reasons. Um, it will be memorable for me, my eldest daughter has gone into labor. Yeah, after a few, I'll, be, I'll be a grandfather for the first time. Um, after a few false starts, she's getting to that phase of get out of me. So uh, it's definitely happening. Um, So it's lovely to be with you. We're starting a new series for Lent called Rebel Jesus. Um, And each week, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to explore how and why Jesus rebelled and in the way that he did and what that means for us today. Um, The title for today, our next slide, is The Call to Rebellion. Does it say that? There we go, the call to rebellion. Um, Any of you that have watched Star Wars by now are probably feeling like the Rebel Alliance and other phrases going through your head. But rebellion, what's real rebellion, Christ's rebellion? And I'm going to do two things with you today. The first one is to suggest how we might understand what Christ's rebellion really is. And then secondly, how at Lent, Lent is the declaration of this rebellion, and our invitation to take part in it. Um, If you have a Bible, you want to turn to Colossians chapter 2, and I think all of this will be up on the uh, screen behind me as well. Um, This is that bit where I had it carefully marked in my Bible, and I've lost it. Is it up there on the screen? There we go. I'm going to read it. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. "'See to it that no one takes you captive "'through hollow and deceptive philosophy, "'which depends on human tradition "'and the elemental spiritual forces of this world "'rather than on Christ. "'For in Christ all the fullness of the deity "'lives in bodily form, "'and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. "'He is the head over every power and authority.' In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead... disarming the principalities and the powers that's what verse 15 tells us too that Christ has disarmed the principalities and the powers um, have any of you watched the news recently the turmoil that continues to grow cost of living crisis, mental health crisis wars, rumours of wars does it feel like the principalities and the powers have been disarmed? no That's what we're going to look at today because in Christ's time, it did not feel like the principalities and the powers had been disarmed and people wanted them to be and people asked the same question and yet Paul declares this to us. He writes to a group of people who are saying Christ has died and risen from the dead and it feels like nothing's any different but the principalities and the powers have been disarmed. The people of Jesus' time felt the same. They wanted a Messiah. They wanted overthrow. They wanted the Romans to be deposed and the rule and reign and the retribution and the justice of God to occur. How many of you remember that bit in the Gospels where Jesus condemned the Romans? How many of you remember when Jesus wrote that speech about the political abuse of the Romans? How many of you remember after the feeding of the 5000 where Jesus started a protest march in Jerusalem about food shortages? Do you remember any of those things in the Bible? Some of you are like, are they in my Bible? <laughs> I know there's some of you are like you get to those bits in the Bible and you think, have I ever read my Bible? Yeah, because there's really good bits. And then you discover bits that have been there forever and you've not noticed. No, I was being facetious. None of those are in the Bible. You don't need to go. Well, you might, You can go looking for them, but you won't find them. They're not there. Shockingly not there. Jesus was unlike any political or religious leader. Shockingly ignoring what was going on in his day and his time in many ways. Christ does not rail against the principalities and the powers in the way that other leaders do. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus, try to think about that at Easter time, the death and resurrection of Christ. And then the Roman daily news happens. After Christ's death and resurrection, in the news the next day, it was like nothing had changed. And yet everything had changed. Nothing had changed, but everything had changed. The Romans were still in charge. Religious battles were continuing. The disciples had fled and run away. Nothing had changed, but everything had changed. How is that possible? When I uh, became a Christian, I was turning 17. Um, My father had abandoned our family. He had a whole other family I didn't know about. Um, It's like I was going to say Jerry Springer, but none of you are probably old enough to remember Jerry Springer. Or the Jeremy Kyle Show, anyway, one of those programs. I watch those things on TV. Sometimes people say, did you see that program? I go, I don't need to watch that. My life was that when I was growing up. And I went to church. My life was bad enough as it already was without Christians making it worse. My mother went to church. She was depressed. I had a one-year-old brother I was looking after, a 15-year-old brother who was being arrested all the time. And I went to church. I heard about Jesus. I gave my life to him that day. I went home. And when I woke up, turning 17, nothing had changed. I was still on the edge of homelessness. I was still... An abused boy by an abused mother with an abandoned father. Nothing had changed. And yet everything had changed. I remember like it was yesterday when I woke up. I remember the first prayer I prayed on the morning after I'd given my life to Christ. And I said, Jesus, what do you want to do with my life? I remember that moment. One of the things that I remember had changed, I come from a family of violent alcoholics, extant through both sides of my family, and I had started to drink just to cope with how life was. And I remember how that day, I suddenly discovered I didn't need to drink to go to sleep anymore. Nothing had changed, but everything had changed. And by the way, there are, I'm 55 years old, There are still things that the Lord is disarming in my life. It doesn't all happen at once. Nothing changed, but everything changed. Next slide. There is, I wish we had time to go through the New Testament and look at Jesus' politics, the politics of Jesus and how he addresses rulers, uh, political leaders, religious leaders, talks about power and authority. Jesus talks a lot about it, even though he behaves very differently. We haven't got time to do that today. But we'll just have a little snapshot of a moment. This is when Jesus is before Pilate. Some of you will know this in the Gospels. And Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate is saying, Hey, you've been saying that you're a king and you have a kingdom. And this happens. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And Pilate's response, you are a king then. Jesus is a king. Make no mistake. He is a king of a kingdom. But radically different. And then into chapter 19. Where do you come from? Pilate asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer do you refuse to speak to me? This is Pilate, the power of life and death over Jesus. Um, again, if I was to preach from this story, you see that the person who has power realises he has no power at all when someone before him is willing to die. And Jesus' response, don't you realise Old Pilate says, don't you realize I have power either to free or crucify you? And Jesus answered, you have no power over me. And if you do, it's because the one who has all power has given it to you. Jesus is just wonderfully insouciant here. He knows what's coming. And by the way, it's going to hurt him immensely. But in the face of the ultimate manifestation of what political leaders do at their worst, he says, you have no power over me. Only if my heavenly father allows her. Stunning. And in Christ, the fullness of God, he is born, he lives, he dies, full of the spirit. And we know after Easter, and the Easter story is raised from the dead. And sin and demonic and suffering and rulers, nothing could hold him. Nothing could possess him. Nothing could control him. Nothing could own him. And in his way of living, is made available to us. How many of us know that? This way of living, of being God-possessed, is made available to us. And I might want to hit the pause button with you this morning. Did anyone bring anything in here with them this morning? Emotionally. Anyone dragging anything in with them that's got hold of them? I do. Lots of things. Anything to do with work, relationships, The future, news, your kids, health, emotions, mental health. Anybody bring any of that stuff with them? Did you feel it, trying to keep the seatbelt on in the car? There is a king. If If we pause and we just notice those things, there is a king who wants to stand next to us. And say to those things, You have no hold over my son, my daughter. None. None. And you see, Jesus rebels against all our notions of rebellion. Jesus has been appropriated and misappropriated by many people in history for many purposes. Political ends, crazy ones. You know, I haven't got time. I could put up images of Jesus with guns, yeah? There's, there's gun-toting Jesus. There's the Che Guevara Jesus. There's the liberation Jesus. But then there is the Jesus that we see in the Bible. And it makes it very clear how he is a king. And he rebels against our notions of rebellion. So let's talk about Lent. I must admit, when I was given the talk um, title, it was kind of challenging. Rebel Jesus, and could you tie that into Lent and introducing Lent? I'm like, challenge accepted. Uh, We didn't get much time to talk about this. Lent. Do you know what Lent is? It's the 40 days before Easter, six weeks not including Sundays. And it's where we've taken the death and resurrection of Jesus and reduced it to: if you're going to give up chocolate, <laughs> that's the revolution, brothers and sisters. That's the rebellion. What are you doing for Lent? Has anybody asked you that? I'm giving up chocolate? Someone asked me the other day. What are you? Are you giving, no, I'm not giving up chocolate. Oh. Are you giving up Netflix? No, not giving up Netflix. Look at all my books. Are you giving up reading? Never. Maybe I should for Lent one year. But what if Lent was a time for preparation and invitation to join the rebellion of Jesus Christ? That's what Lent really is. To discover the power that raised Jesus from the dead... And that the power that he has over darkness and all that seeks to destroy us is defeated. That is what Lent is. So, friends, brothers and sisters, if someone says to you in the next few days, what are you doing for Lent? Are you giving up chocolate? Everyone goes for chocolate, don't they? I don't have a sweet tooth, so it's easy for me to give up sweet things. Pistachios, I could never give up. um, Or cheese and biscuits. Um, what are you giving up chocolate Netflix have your answer ready for them no I'm not doing that for Lent what are you doing I am preparing to disarm the principalities and the powers (laughs) right you do this thing here in the church we do this thing it's really embarrassing and I hate it but I'm going to get you to do it Peter does it turn around and say to someone what are you doing for Lent and tell them what you're doing go Okay. So, disarming the principalities and the powers. It's a bit more exciting, isn't it? The giving up chocolate. A bit more scary than giving up chocolate. And now you're thinking, I really hope someone's going to ask me what I'm doing for Lent, aren't you? Because then you can say, I'm disarming the principalities and the powers. Well, if they don't ask you, when you're with your family and your friends, just go, go on, ask me what? Ask me. Ask me what I'm doing for Lent. (laughs) Have you ever wanted to talk about your faith to other people? I'm serious. Do we realise what's going on in the world? This is a moment to say to our friends and our family, go on, ask me. Ask me what I'm doing for Lent. What are you doing for Lent? I'm disarming the principalities and the powers. Oh, you mean all that stuff that's going on at the minute? Yeah, all of that. All of that. That's the rebellion. Uh, next slide. Oh, there it is empowering rebellious sinners. Now, these verses in Colossians 2, verses 6, 7, 9, 10, 12 to 13. Um, if we just look at those for a minute, again, i you it, um, do a little bit of working out here with you. This is Paul telling us who Jesus is, who we get to verse 15, has disarmed the principalities and the powers. And the bit before it, he talks about us and our participation with Christ. He doesn't talk about killing other people. He doesn't talk about going on marches. He doesn't talk about protests. He doesn't talk about all the things that might normally happen in religious books. He talks about us identifying with Jesus. So then, as you received Christ, continue your lives with him, rooted and built up. For in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, the circumcision bit's a bit weird. That needs explaining. Don't worry about it. You get Some of the guys get to that bit and you go, oh, thank goodness that didn't happen to me. Um, that was an inappropriate joke. Was that an inappropriate joke? <laughs> Testing the boundaries of humour here. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, in him, with him, through him, by him, for him, therefore, in you, the principalities and the powers have been disarmed. But we have a problem, brothers and sisters. As part of this rebellion... The real battle begins with us. So much of the time in my life, I think it's other people and things around me that are the battle. And often the Lord reminds me that it's me that's the first place for the battle. The real battle is us. Jesus did not overthrow the Roman Empire. Instead, he overthrew everything that stops his people living like him, whether that was in Roman times or today. Did you get that? I'll say it again. Jesus doesn't disempower the Romans, doesn't get on a horse, ride into Jerusalem, and kill everybody and say, there you go, you're now free. Instead, Jesus walks into the heart of the evils of the Roman Empire and lets himself be put to death and rises from the dead and defeats that power at the heart of what that power is. And he says, this power is now available to you. There is no reason for anyone who follows me to not live faithfully, no matter what is happening, even if someone takes away your life. He doesn't overthrow the Roman Empire. He overthrows the empire that is within us. He disempowers sin and the demonic and politics and economics and identity issues that we struggle with. If we can put the next slide up. Wouldn't be a a full talk this morning without a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis, love C.S. Lewis. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who disarms us. So we've had a look at what the rebellion is. And now I'm suggesting scripture tells us we are the rebels. And we have to surrender before we can join the real rebellion. So you're up for a little bit more working out with me. Is that okay? Maybe you buy that idea. You might be thinking, okay, I'll have to go back to the Bible and see if that's there. Some of you got faces like, is that really in my Bible? That's okay, go and look for it. So just a little bit of working out. Jesus seems to treat Roman occupation almost casually. And he focuses on the demonic. Have any of you noticed that in your Bibles? He focuses on the demonic and manifestations of the principalities and the powers. um, Almost exclusively. He addresses the demonic rather than the colonial. Now, that should have some force in our world and our society today. Man, there's a whole talk there for me to do with you. He focuses on the demonic, not the decolonizing of the Roman empires. He focuses on the decolonizing of the hearts and souls of his followers. Now, don't get me wrong. He's been misunderstood through history in many ways that this makes him apolitical that it's all about us just getting blissed out and close to Jesus and then everything's wonderful when we die. There's nothing that needs overturning in this world. No. The way that what's at the heart of what's wrong in our world is overturned is by overturning the hearts of people who know what's wrong in the world and want to live differently. The revolution begins in here, in me, like him. The kingdom is something to live radically different within the kingdoms of this world. What are you doing for Lent? Come on, you know the answer. I tell everyone you're a smart lot. What are we doing for Lent? Thank you. Another thing we're doing as we do that is we are living in a kingdom that is different to all the other kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God and Christ's power is directed at the forces that stop you and I living as his people in the world. Did anyone come in here with any forces against them to stop them living as followers of Jesus in this world? I did. And as we gather, there is good news. The king is here. The kingdom is at hand The empowerment of his people is more important than the the dispowerment of Rome. Rome said, we own your bodies, we can kill. This is what every despot, every dictator has ever done in history, has said, we own you. And the way we prove that we own you is, we can arrest you, torture you, kill you, and we can even make your body disappear so that your family doesn't even have... The sacredness of putting you into the ground and saying goodbye to you. Are you watching what's happening in Russia at the minute? A dictator behaving like a dictator. Nothing new in history. But let's do a bit more of the working out. How many of us have got things taking hold of our bodies? Trying to possess us. The enemy will work through dictators. We live in a democratic country at the minute. But how many of us do things to our bodies to fit in? How many of us do things to ourselves for work? How many of us do things that take hold of us and say, I own you? Christianity overwhelms this. Do you know how the Roman Empire was finally overturned? Do you know what did it? Tens of thousands of Christians... Who said, this Jesus who died and rose from the dead, who stood up to Pilate, I can do the same. Tens of thousands of Christians were thrown to the lions, crucified, covered in tar, set on fire. When people said to them, we own you. Get back in your box and live like you're supposed to. And they said, no. No. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Do your worst. That's what turned our world upside down. Getting to the end of the working out. Do you remember the story of the Exodus? Quick snapshot of the Exodus. You'd think escape from Egypt, everything will be fantastic. Have you read the book of Exodus? (laughs) They escape, and what's the first thing they do? It was so much better back there. (laughs) Worship false gods. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to get Egypt out of the hearts of God's people. The reality is 40 years so that most of them had died. God wants to get Egypt out of us. And that's why... This rebel leader we're going to see says, pick up your cross, come and die, participate with me, experience death and resurrection. And the forces that face us are overwhelming. And again, has anyone got something overwhelming? I do. You do. But the good news is, they are overcome in Christ. We are more and conquerors we are rebels invited to lay down our arms and join the rebellion so let's finish and look at how to join this rebellion Uh, in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ did you see that do you see that now in verse 8 in a way that you couldn't before don't do what other people do to sort the world out that's the problem there's a different way in this rebellion and this is the hardest part of all where we go from the conceptual and some of you can feel it staring in you, can you feel it? Some of you literally, that, you know, this is, this is God's word, it's truth. The, the, the Christ that rose from the dead is here with us. And some of us have come in with things that are laying claim to us, but you can feel something else. And it's the presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit coming alongside you, wanting to say, enough. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. So again, brothers and sisters, friends, if we were to pause and say what's troubling us, churning up in us, what's making our assessments for life, whether I've been successful or not, what's the measure of my life, my work, my identity, my relationships, my children, my aging, my health, my past, the church itself, do you and I want, like most people, in the time of Jesus wanted and have in history, do we just want a Messiah to ride into town and deliver us and free us to change our circumstances? Or do we want our core identity to be God made? Do we want Jesus to take hold of us? Um, those places and space again we're all wired differently. Some of us are feelers, some of us, you know, go, I'm not sure the last time I had a feeling, but I'm told that other people have them. Others of us are thinkers, always thinking, yeah. And some of us live in our bodies, and it's okay. But the things of the world, we are told by scripture, don't be blind. Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air and he comes to get a stronghold and to attack us and undermine us and stop us entering into the fullness of who we were meant to be in Christ. And sometimes we feel that and it can be resignation. I've just given up. I've given up on that part of my life. Others of us, it's almost like there is a voice and it says, that's mine. It'll never be yours. You'll never be free. Just give up. That's the voice of the enemy. But something else starts to well up in us when we look at this truth of who Jesus is. And maybe it's what we saw in John with Jesus. And maybe in our soul, something bubbles up in us and we can turn to whatever is confronting us and trying to lay claim to us and say, you Have no power over me. Would you pause right now? Think about what is confronting you. And we say, you have no power over me. One of the most strong manifestations of this dynamic of the kingdom and the king and Jesus is where he says something that can look really harsh at first when he says it. And he says it to Peter. Peter says, no, Lord, no, no, this can't be right. You need to do what everyone's expecting all the political and religious leaders to do. You need to be the Messiah. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He doesn't say it to Peter. I imagine he's looking over the shoulder of Peter, past Peter. He can see the devil himself who he has faced in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. It's one of the reasons that Lent is 40 days, by the way. And Jesus says to Satan, get thee behind me. And he wants to do the same in our lives. He wants to look at you and all that you struggle with and declare to the enemy, get thee behind me, Satan. So let's finish Uh, can we have the band back please, would you guys come up Uh, joining the rebellion Galatians 2 I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the principalities and the powers and the forces of darkness in this world so will we admit to being rebellious sinners and will we lay down our arms and will we say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. Um, going to go into a time of prayer for one another uh, with the band playing. Um, and I'm going to do it this way. Instead of inviting you to the front, I'm going to invite you to stand. Um, And normally that can be a bit intimidating, can't it? But one of the reasons to stand is as a sign of rebellion. Um, To rebel against yourself and all the things that would keep you glued to your seat. I'm not normally someone who would stand up in front of others. Well, rebel against that. Standing up is a way to say, Jesus, I come and stand with you at the cross in your rebellion. Standing up is a way to say, Lord, I have something that has hold of me and I want you, please disarm the principalities and powers. I want to join your rebellion. There is a prayer that's... uh, Last slide, up here on the screen. So I'm going to read this prayer. Join in with it as you might want to. Listen to it. And at the end of it, if you would like to invite you to stand for this Lent to join the rebellion. And by the way, you do not have to stand. If lots of people stand, please don't do that thing where you feel that you have to stand up. All right? If you want to sit with the Lord, you sit with the Lord. But some of you need to stand as an act of rebellion this morning. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chained visions, worldly talking, cheap living and warped goals. My face is set, my gait is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up or let up until I have prayed up and paid up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till everyone knows, work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no trouble recognising me because my banner will have been clear. Amen. So, any rebels here, please stand and we'll pray for you. Come Holy Spirit, come to us. Come Lord Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, speak over us Lord. Lord, as as we stand, Lord, I pray your blessing upon us and Lord Jesus, look at those things that have power over us and speak to the enemy right now. Say your words. Get thee behind me, Satan. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Now we're going to pray for one another. I'm going to encourage you. um, If you can see someone near you who's standing, um, would you put your hand on them? And you know how we reach out and pray for one another. And don't worry if no one is praying for you. There's lots of people standing. So as the worship team finish singing over us, just let the Lord minister to you. Come, Holy Spirit.